The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com uh, If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Micah chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be in verses 12 to 13 today. We're going to be finishing up chapter 2 today. Um, uh, I don't know why, but for some reason, I don't know if it's just my old age or what, but salvation is spelt correctly, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's, it looks wrong to me for some reason. I don't know, maybe it's, it's because of what I'm going to preach on today. <laughs> uh, Micah chapter 2, while you're turning there, uh, not long ago, one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, Bill Wilson, he published his correspondence with the great psychiatrist, Carl Jung. He thanks Carl for his contribution to Alcoholics Anonymous. He said, you have no idea the important role you played in forging the famous 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. You were treating a man named Robert H., and you said, Roland, you're a hopeless alcoholic. There's nothing more I can do for you except take your money, and I don't want to do that. Roland asked you, is there anything I can do? And you said, yes, there is something you can do. Have a religious conversion. Have a religious experience. At the same time, continued Wilson, my doctor told me I was a hopeless alcoholic, and I said, isn't there something I can do? At the time, I was reading William James's A Variety of Religious Experience, and I noticed at the bottom of every religious experience was that turning your life over to God, that surrender to God. So I went home and said, God, I don't know if I even believe in you, but if you're there, if you're there, God, will you please help me? And in that moment, I knew I was healed. In that moment, I knew that the addiction was broken that I was a free man, maybe for the first time in my whole life. And he talks about this in a movie that was recently, not recently, but it was on television, My Name is Bill W. It's about how he experienced the peace of God, the strength of God, but at the price of surrender, of turning his life over to God. That is very important. To experience the reality of God in prayer is that moment of surrender. Amazing picture of how God sets us free when he saves us. It's really important for us to understand that, that Christ sets us free as he gathers us to save us. You see, salvation from condemnation, the wrath of God, and freedom from bondage is clear. It's a clear result of what it is for us to be born again. Like many of us today, we will say that we are born-again Christians. And not only do we have eternal life with Christ, we are also free from the curse of sin. We are freed from the curse of the law. And we are also freed from the power of sin. And the reality is that we have the mighty biblical principle of Christ being our prophet, Christ being our priest, and Christ being our king. Now just a refresher, just a reminder, remember, we're saved by this threefold office. Why do we need Christ as a prophet? Because we're ignorant. Why do we need Christ as a priest? Because we're guilty. Why do we need Christ as our king? because we are weak and helpless. This is the wonder of what God has provided for us when he saved us by his work, by his word, by his works, and all the benefits applied to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful, awesome thing today that we call salvation. Awesome. But today, it doesn't seem as important to the church anymore. Does it? I mean, it's interesting. That, that's our banner. The flag, the gospel, salvation, what we find, what we have, the benefits we have through Christ applied to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just doesn't seem as important to the church anymore. Some of us today in modern evangelicalism have become so complacent and apathetic 
to all this and all that we have been given by the word and by the works of Christ. We've got to be honest. Let's ask ourselves that question today. Does the message and gospel of Christ, does it inspire us anymore? Well, some have even said, now believe it, I mean, believe me, some people have even suggested to me before, Shane, the gospel has its time. You preach the gospel on Christmas and you preach the gospel on Easter. All the other times, you need to start preaching on things that matter. Okay. So, by you, by, as you can tell by the reaction of many in their congregation today, they weren't the ones that told me this. <laughs> to which my response is always, can you give me another topic in this world that matters more than the gospel of Jesus today? See, the the problem is, is that we're starting to see this trend. Well, not actually starting. We have seen this trend going on for a long time now. But it's really starting to show its true colors today as as we look and and, and as, you know, we have, you know, some of our, our, I hate to say it this way, but our watchdog ministries that are out there that are surveying, they're doing surveys and all this stuff. They're questioning modern evangelicalism. Those who, uh, who, who suggest and profess to be Christians, um, you know, they ask them these questions in regards to the gospel, in regards to salvation, and we're always stunned as to how much Christians today don't feel like the gospel of Jesus really matters in their life anymore. They see the gospel as the ABCs of Christianity, but once you've, you know, accepted Christ into your life and you're a Christian, now we move on from the basics of the gospel to more mature topics, to more mature things. Uh, That's what it is that we're supposed to be focused on. That's some of the communicator that we see. But see, here's the reality of all of this stuff. What we're starting to see in conversations that I've been having lately is, hey, Shane, this is what's going to happen in our culture today with the things that are happening, you know, with, with leadership, with the government, with, with culture, with the move, with society, with the global uh, the communique that we actually have today. What's going to start happening is, is there's going to start to be a separation between Christians who profess it and who actually possess it. There's going to be a separation that's going to begin with this. And one of the things that we're seeing is the clear separation between those professing, possessing Christians who actually believe in the importance of the gospel and those that don't. Very important for us to see this. Again, Shane, the gospel has its time. You preach the gospel on Christmas and Easter. Do you remember I was telling you too about this last year when we, right this past Christmas, that I thought it was unusually odd that churches were promoting their, their Christmas Eve service and down in the, in the print, bring your friends because tonight you are, or on Christmas Eve, you're going to hear the gospel. Like, you're actually having to promote the fact that your church is going to preach the gospel on this night. Did you think that was kind of odd? I thought that was kind of odd. But, but we don't see those kinds of things. Why? Because it's become so commonplace that the gospel has taken its, you know, its role as, as, as a side topic that's only dealt with on holidays. If we're not inspired, and this is what I like to say, if we are not inspired and we are not motivated by the message of the gospel and the message of salvation in Christ, if we're not inspired and not motivated, if it's not the answer to all that we need, then we better start thinking about what we actually think we need. Maybe what you think you need is not something that God wants to provide for. When the answer to the ultimate things in life is not Christ, then there's something wrong. 
we as Christians, family, we as Christians, we are supposed to take comfort, solace, in the words, my grace is sufficient for you. But in our culture today, it's not. Something is wrong. But I know that there's many reasons for this. I know many reasons for the thinking and, and, and the process and the progression that we're going. But let me just give you one of the most important reasons why I think the gospel is not important to us in our culture today. It's because the law of God is not doing its work anymore. Seriously. Seriously. This is the thing that I think is really odd. Why is it that the gospel message is not enough? Why is it that we can't rest in the gospel? What we've got to do is we've got to do everything that we can to eliminate the power of the law. That's what we're doing. Doing everything that we can in our culture today, and the church is helping our culture do this, to eliminate the power of the law. And that's the reason why people don't think they're sinners today. Have you guys ever tried preaching the gospel to an individual who doesn't believe they're a sinner? I've done this several times. They don't believe that they're a sinner, and you're trying to preach the gospel to them. Trying to let them know, hey, Jesus died for your sins, raised in the third day, share the gospel, saying his trustworthy, Jesus died for sinners, all this stuff. Tell them this message, and they're just looking at you, smiling. Oh, 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 Shane, this is just so, it's so cute that you're passionate about things. I just, I'm so glad that you're passionate about stuff. I wish more young people would be passionate about things. But I, I don't need to hear the gospel. You know, this, is, this was like my, you know, some of my family members. <laughs> I remember my aunt used to tell me all the time when I would preach to her, she's like, Shane, stop preaching to me. You don't need to preach to me. Now your cousin, well, you need to tell him about Jesus. So go, go talk to your cousin. But, but, but auntie, I'm talking to you. I, I'm, wanting, I'm wanting you to hear this. Well, I, well, I don't need to hear this. I'm, I'm a good person. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to heaven. It's amazing how the Bible is very, very clear about sin. The Bible is very, very clear about the law. The Ten Commandments is just ingrained in everyone's, in everyone's head. We're born with the image of God. We're born with the law of God written upon our hearts. It is so, so clear. But some way, somehow, we're figuring out a way to believe that we actually do not transgress these laws, that these laws may just be suggestions, The law is just not doing its work anymore. They don't think they've done anything wrong. Because society and the church are doing much to nullify the reality of what it does. You do realize, family, that there are modern evangelical pastors who are trying to tell everybody that the Ten Commandments don't apply anymore. Do you know that? you realize that? Ten Commandments don't apply anymore. The Ten Commandments does not concern us anymore. And they do that same thing, that whole, well, that's the Old Testament. As if Jesus didn't reiterate the, the laws of the Ten Commandments in the New Testament. Well, that's the Old Testament. We don't have to follow the Ten Commandments anymore. If the purpose of the law of God is to show us that we are sinners, then how are we supposed to know that we are sinners if we don't have the law? See, that's the reality. That's the problem. We have society that is trying to rewrite these things to say that some things are wrong and some things are not. I remember having a conversation with an atheist friend of mine who, and apparently I don't have atheist friends, but, but <laughs> it's an inside joke if you guys are following me on social media. Um, an atheist friend of mine, would, he would say all the time, yeah, you know, you, you, you talk about the Ten Commandments and we'll have conversations about the Ten Commandments and it's really funny, like, we'll, we'll talk about it and he'll talk about the Ten Commandments that he likes. This is, like, really, it's really funny to me. It's like, hey, you know, you know thou shalt, you know, uh, love the Lord your God or, or no other God shall you serve, you know, uh, that God is first, that God is priority. And I don't like that one. Uh, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Yeah, I don't like that one. 
honor your father and mother. Yeah, I like that one. I mean, it's interesting how he would pick and choose. Don't commit adultery. I don't like that one. Don't steal. Eh, okay, I like that one. Don't kill. Mm, yeah, you know, just picking and choosing, which is, I just think that's really interesting. But isn't that kind of like the way our society is, where we're starting to pick and choose what we want? And this is what's really scary, is this is what's starting to happen in the church, where we're starting to see Christians picking and choosing which laws they're going to follow and which ones they won't. How can we pick and choose these things? Where do we think that we actually even have that right to do that? You know, it's just interesting how we're seeing the the progression of of these things. Picking and choosing. Picking and choosing which ones we're going to follow and which ones we're not. For some reason, we're not okay with the gospel. And we just want to get rid of the law so that we're not condemned. What is our culture and some of the church doing? See, this is what is happening. And and here's the reality. When it comes to the law, the the, the way it was... uh, the way it was described, I can't remember the guy that, that showed me this. I can't remember his name. I can see his face, but I can't remember his name. Um, uh, anyway, it's like right there. But anyway, he used, to, he used to always say that the law is like a mirror, right? A mirror. This mirror shows you what's on your face, right? Because right, we, 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 we know that. Like, you know, if, some, if there's something on your face... You rely on your best friend to tell you that there's something on your face, right? Because a total stranger is not going to tell you that you got a piece of lettuce stuck to your lip right here. And you don't know. You're just talking. you got this lettuce flapping on your lip, and everyone's just looking at it and fixated on it. But it's your, it's your friend. It's your family member that's going to be like, you know, it's your wife that's going to be like, oh, babes, babes, babes. You know. And it always takes like a couple of times, right, to recognize what she's doing. She's looking at you, and she's going like this, and you go, And you guys are doing this thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the law does that for us when it comes to sin. The law shows us a reflection, shows us the reflection, tells us that our face is dirty. It lets us know that there's something on our face. But now our culture tells us that it's okay for us to have dirt on your face if you know that there is dirt on your face. So if there's no law, the law is not going to show us that there is dirt on our face. We're not going to know that our face is dirty. We're going to be walking around thinking that our face is clean, but our face is dirty. And even if you do see that your face is actually dirty by some miracle, the culture is telling us that it's okay for us to have dirt on our face. It's actually good for our complexion. Isn't that kind of what we're doing? When you listen to what our culture is doing, when it talks about like, you know, I know that this behavior for you, the Bible condemns it and says that it's an actual sin. But you know what? By you actually living in this horrible, this horrible thing that the Bible calls a horrible thing, by you living in it and giving yourself over to it, don't you feel more fulfilled? Don't you feel more real? Don't you feel more, uh, uh, more uh, there's more self-esteem, that you can be happy with yourself, that you don't have to hide in the shadows anymore. You can be the real you. You can be your authentic self now. Isn't that funny? And I just keep thinking, it's like our culture is telling us, yeah, you got dirt on your face, but man, you're beautiful. Oh yeah, it's even better. You know, you know, before you had dirt on your face, you were too white. You know, now you're, now you're darkening. It's like, a, it's like a tan. You know, tan is always, it's like, it's like all this stuff. It's, it's telling you, it's okay to have dirt on your face because that's who you really are. That's what you are. That's your decision. You're making decisions for yourself. You're not following what other people tell you. You're deciding for yourself, and that's just how it's going to be for me and my house. That's just your opinion if I have dirt on my face. And you know what? I got dirt on my face. I think it's fine, and a lot of people agree with me. They're my people. They're on my side. Can you imagine? And so now we're going to give somebody 
the gospel to tell them, you know, we have dirt on our face, but Jesus came to save you from that. Why in the world would I want to be saved from this? Do you see? This is the trend. This is what's happening. This is why the gospel is just, number one, losing, quote unquote, its power because the law isn't doing its job anymore. It's all we do. It's all we do. And we just redefine the law. Sin is, a, is transgression of God's law or want of, of conformity to God's law. Sin is a horrible thing. And we in the church are agreeing with society calling sin a mistake. Oh, seriously? God's going to send us to hell because of a small little mistake that I made? And, and, and I'm judged. We're judged. As I, as I evangelize and I talk to people about Christ, I give them the gospel, I share the gospel, and one of the common responses I get from individuals is like, how horrible is a God like that that would send me to hell for eternity just because I messed up a couple times? How could you serve a monster like that, Shane? This is the response. It's what people will say. Some of you may have even heard this that way before, said that way before. And again, family, if we don't think this is a sin, then we don't need the gospel anymore. Could it be that this is why the gospel doesn't motivate us anymore? Could it be that this is why messages on salvation is reserved for Christmas and Easter? Is this the reason why we have to be aware that the Bible instructs pastors to persevere in preaching the word in season and out of season? Preach the word when it's popular and preach the word when it's not. Preach the word and tell people what the truth is even when it's not what they want to hear. Seriously, it's not what they want to hear. You know, an individual will go, yeah, you know, Shane, you say that and I think about that and you're just like, in the last days, people are not going to put up with sound doctrine, but they're going to surround themselves with people who are going to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. And they'll be like, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. I totally do. Do we realize that there's a difference between what we want to hear and what we need to hear? Right? What we want to hear and what we need to hear. Oh yeah, you better believe that when I'm done preaching, I want to hear from you. Pastor Shane, that was the greatest sermon I've ever heard in my life. But sometimes that's not what we need to hear, especially when we preach the two-hour-long sermon, which I've never done. (laughs) The Bible instructs us that the gospel, the word of God, is always to be preached whether people want to hear it or not. And that's what we do. That's what we're motivated to do. That's what we're supposed to do. But there's going to be times where they're not, where people are just not going to have the appetite for it, that there's going to be a famine of the word. Salvation is always to be declared. Let's take a look at our passage today. Micah chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. Micah chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. Someday, O Israel, I will gather you. I will gather the remnant who are left. I will bring you together again like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. Yes, your land will again be filled with noisy crowds. Your leader will break out and lead you out of exile, out through the gates of the enemy cities back to your own land. Your king will lead you. The Lord himself will guide you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is truly the light. Father, I pray that we will no longer hide in darkness, but be in the light where you are in the light. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So today, if you're taking notes, we're gonna look at the the description of the shepherd as to how he's going to save his people. Second, we're going to look at the description of a breaker as to how he will save his people. And finally, we'll look at the description of a king and as how the king is going to save his 
people today. So our thesis statement is this, though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to despair in addiction, condemnation, and discouragement, it is the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of Scripture that will cause us to see that we can be saved from condemnation and freed from all forms of captivity and bondage in this world world. Point number one, the shepherd, he will gather his people. So as we've been going through the book of Matthew, or not Matthew, book of Micah, started with an M. (laughs) Remember I warned you guys, I said that my mind was going to get stuck. Yeah, that if you don't get, for me, I don't know about you guys, but for me, if I don't get a lot of sleep, like my mind will get stuck like halfway through like a super important point that I'm making. I'm really getting after it. I'm building it and my mind just gets stuck. Bueller, Bueller, right? Stuck. There is a quick shift in the oracle. We've been talking about judgment. We've been talking about the surety of judgment. We've been talking about how judgment is coming, how judgment is real, and how judgment will be terrible. You got to understand that, you know, that, that for the longest time, I remember as a kid, a lot of people, a lot of the grown-ups that I knew as a kid may still be this way today, still think that hell is going to be a party. Like, I can't wait for God to come and judge and send me to hell. All the good people that I know are going to go to hell. I'm going to go down there. We're just going to have this great party for eternity. Judgment is coming. Judgment is real. And it will be terrible. Doesn't sound like at parties that there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Outer darkness. Judgment is coming. And and here we see the picture now, a shift in the oracle where God was talking about judgment, the surety of judgment. And now he's going to give us a picture of the surety of salvation. Judgment is coming, judgment is real, judgment will be terrible, but you can be saved. See, and that is going to be the big kicker. You know, it was like, it was like you know, uh, um, I don't know, just think of things in life that you know for sure was going to happen. Somebody told you not to do it. Let's think of relationships, right? It's the, our parents are so, kids, listen to what I'm trying to say. Parents are so wise when it comes to picking a boyfriend and girlfriend for you or, or accepting the person. Like, you know, you come walking in with this guy. We already know he's not good for you, right? No? All of you guys married the spouse that your parents didn't approve of? Yeah, okay, pretty much all of us did. I get it. I get it. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Sometimes in relationships, you're with this person, you're with this person for a while, they break your heart and all this stuff, and your parents are over there saying, I told you this was going to happen. I told you so. I told you that this was going to be bad. I I told you this was going to be all bad and all this stuff. And it's like, isn't that like the kicker? That's the hardest part of the whole thing. Not only did I get my heart broken and this whole thing and I just wasted all this time, all this stuff was just really bad, but I was warned about this before. And if I would have just listened, I would have been okay. Why? Because some of us, we just got to learn the hard way. But in this world, we can bounce back. What happens if you have the I told you so while you're in hell for eternity? That right there is enough to just, to, to just have you drop to your knees and worship and praise the king of kings. Just that right there. So we have a shift. And so judgment is coming. Judgment is real. Judgment is going to be terrible, but you can be saved from this. And that salvation is just as sure as the judgment that's coming. So we saw how clear and how certain judgment was because judgment did come, didn't it? Yeah, when God says it was coming, it did come, it, was, it came, it was real, and it was terrible. But then we see the clear and certain certainty of his salvation when the people were brought back to their land. 
So again, we see the promises of God given, and it's not in vague aspirations of the future, but firm, accurate, and reliable. It is God's name and character here. He is surely going to do this. I am telling you, I'm going to do this. He's surely going to save them, and he did with the decree of Cyrus and the Israelites when they went back to the land. And the judgment was clear, judgment was sure, judgment happened, and salvation was clear, salvation was sure, and salvation actually happened. Wow, you mean our God actually does what he says he's going to do? Wow. Well, that's different in society today. People are actually going to do what they say they're going to do? You mean his yes means yes and his no means no? Wow. And salvation that's pictured here is the gathering of the people by the shepherd. Here God, the royal shepherd, is going to gather his scattered people like sheep in a pen. Dr. John McKay, he writes, the link that Micah himself introduces in chapter 5 between the shepherding and the Messiah makes it natural to see in the deliverance the Lord provides for his people at the time a foreshadowing of the deliverance he provides through the good shepherd of his sheep. That is the picture that God wants us to see. He wants us to see that salvation is coming. And the salvation that's coming is just like a shepherd who's coming to save his sheep. Oh, man. And this is huge. This is why you see in the Bible, God is constantly referred to as our shepherd. It's all over. Okay, so if you don't understand this whole concept, it's going to be a little bit vague, but it's clear throughout us that God wants us to see him as a shepherd, that the scriptures constantly envisions Christ as the great and good shepherd. Psalm 28, verse 9. Psalm 28, 9. Save your people, bless Israel, your special possession. Lead them like a shepherd and carry them in your arms forever. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my Ezekiel, chapter 34, verse 23. And I will set them over one shepherd, my servant David. He will feed them and be a shepherd to them. Psalm 103, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. 1 Peter 2, 25. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Hebrews 13, 20. Now may the God of peace who brought up the dead, uh, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. Revelation 7, 17. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. And of course, I gotta bring this one up. John 10, 10 to 11, the thief, its purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Wow. Pretty clear in scripture. I can go on. I mean, that's just some that I gave you. I could go on and on and on about how the scriptures envision Christ as our shepherd. The Bible wants us to see that God is our shepherd. He is the one who gathers us. He is the one who's going to protect us. He is the one who will look for you if you are a lost sheep. He's the one who will guard us against the wolves. He's the one that will make sure that we are not prey. He's the one that's going to lead us to the water. He is going to make sure that we are fed and we are 
are nourished. Family, Christ will guide us to all righteousness. Christ will lead us to peace that transcends all understanding. Christ will give us life and life more abundant. Christ began a good work. Christ is going to bring it to completion. Christ died for our sins and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Christ came to seek and save that which was lost. Christ will show us the truth and the truth will make us free. Christ is our great intercessor. He is our great high priest. He is our king. He is our savior. He is our great and good shepherd. Clear. Clear in the scriptures. But not only that, Christ is also our breaker. Point number two, the breaker. The Lord here in verse 13 it's, it's kind of odd when you, when you go through this. Uh, different, your translations will say it differently. But it's almost like it is uh, an identification of God in a, in a different way. So it's like he is referred to as the breaker. So I'm going to go with it. So we see here God is our shepherd. Here in verse 13, God is our breaker. And I know that that brings up all kinds of things. A lot, a lot of time when I keep thinking about this whole thing, God is our breaker. It's not, he's not a circuit breaker. You know, I would immediately go to the breaker panel, you know. He's not a circuit breaker. It's, it's interesting. Watch this. The Lord in verse 13 is called the breaker. He's the one who breaks open the way out as their leader. He leads his people out of the lands where they have been scattered and where they have been held captive. So the significance is this when we see here. The Lord's action enables his people to break through the city gate and exit the place of their confinement. So God is going to break us out of our prison. God is going to, not only is he's going to be the shepherd that's going to gather his people when he saves us, he is going to set us free because we're not simply just lost wandering around aimlessly, which is part of, which is part of the reason why we need to wandering around aimlessly like lost sheep, but we are also prisoners, captive to sin, captive to hell, captive to death, captive to wrath, captive to this and he is showing us that our, our Savior is not just a shepherd, but he is one that's going to set us free. It's the word, Dr. McKay writes, it's a word which speaks of power that sweeps all obstacles before it, effectively undermining and demolishing all that would resist it. It is a presentation of the Lord as a warrior overthrowing his enemies. Wow. This is awesome. This is amazing. He's going to gather us and he's also going to set us free. We're going to be set free. Some commentators will also display something here that might unfortunately go unnoticed. All right. Okay, so that's going to... So memo to everyone that Rock Solid's not going to be doing any work on the church during church service. How's that? Or Sunday school. What? I just, I don't understand this. Um, Some commentators uh, will point and, and show something here, display something here that might unfortunately go unnoticed. The picture is not of that of a breaker who is coming from outside to come to where we're being held captive, coming to the... You know, I mean... This is what I'm talking about. You know, you don't go to church. That's bad enough. But then we're going to do stuff where we're going to mess it up. (sighs) Okay, God help me. Pray for me. I am not happy right now. Give me a couple seconds. Okay, I'm happy again. (laughs) 
All right. Um, see, this is why I get, I get lost. Oh, oh, okay. So we're talking about a breaker who's coming from outside, right? Somewhere out there, here we are in prison, somewhere out there, he's going to come and he is going to come to set the prisoners free. Some commentators will display something that might go, that this is going to go unnoticed. Not only is freedom provided for them by someone, someone is coming to set them free. But watch this. It's not by one who um, has not been with them the whole time. It is one who has been with them, one who has identified with them, and one who has shared with their circumstances. What? Yeah, this is the wonders of the salvation of our Lord. It's the wonders of it. That God is not there and God is not um, reaching down and just saying, okay, here, and waving his hand and saying, be free. He could totally do that, couldn't he? Totally, he could do that, but he didn't. What did he do? Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, and the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying he could break the power of the devil who had power, who had the power of death. The Son was made flesh and blood. He came to be with us. So now we have a high priest who can totally identify with us. And he is sympathetic to everything that we do. He became a part of it. He joined us where we were. He put himself in that situation. And out of that, he set us free. Not a hero, necessarily, a hero who comes from the outside, here I come to save the day, but one who set us free, who was with us and like us in every way. Wow. He knows, family. He knows what we went through. He knows what we went through. He knows what we felt. He knows pain. He knows suffering. He knows that. So, you know, you can't be sitting here as you're going through difficulties in life today. You can't be like, oh, I've got difficult things and circumstances in my life. And God, you know, you're God. So you have no idea what I'm going through. Man, we can't say that, can we? Now, you think that you've experienced rejection. We have not experienced the kind of rejection the King of Kings and Lord of Lords felt when he was on earth. I mean, so stressed out that he sweat blood. I, I'm, I'm, I get pretty stressed sometimes. You know, you guys witnessed it just for a couple of moments there. I don't see no blood. Stress, anguish, suffering. You know, he didn't eat for 40 days. I'm sure he experienced the hunger that we didn't experience, that we don't know. There's a lot that had happened. And, and individuals will say, oh, well, if you look at church history, if you look at church history, you see martyrs that died horrible deaths like Jesus did. So, you know, I don't think that what Jesus did was anything special. Oh, well, when Jesus suffered... He was punished for the sins of the world. Not only that, but when Jesus was punished in his punishment, he faced the wrath of God. Something that we Christians, it doesn't matter how horrible of a death we die, as a Christian today, you will not experience the wrath of God. So we won't experience that, okay? Don't experience the reality of what Christ has experienced and what Christ has done because we don't have that same burden. That's, that's the brutality of it. So we cannot 
say to our God that he does not know what we're going through. And I think a lot of reasons, that's why we end up blaming God and we have a hard time with God when we go through trials and we go through difficulty. Because we sit back here and we think, yeah, God, you're not helping me because you don't know what it's like. You know, you're up there in, in heaven. You know, we probably think that he's, you know, laying down in a hammock and the angels are feeding him grapes, fanning him with palm leaves. And Jesus is there eating grapes. And, and we pray, Jesus, help me. Yeah, maybe when I get around to it. You don't understand what it's like to be a human. Oh, absolutely, he does. He's someone that set us free. Someone who was with us. Someone who was there. Someone who experienced all that we experience. That's awesome, family. That's awesome that we were delivered from that. Christ is our breaker. Christ is the one who sets us free. Psalm chapter 118, verse 5. Psalm 118, 5. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Galatians 5, 1. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. John 8, verse 36. John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of life-giving, the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Romans chapter 6, verse 22. Romans chapter 6, verse 22. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Luke 4, 18. Now the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, the blind will see, and the oppressed will be set free. There's freedom for us, family. There's freedom. Now, again, I know that that's difficult, I know that's hard. And I know that we live in a society of clear addiction. People all over the place are just captive to their own devices and their own things that they walk into and they just cannot be let go. The reality is, family, we even see this reality when it comes to Christians. But salvation is here. Freedom is here. But, but, but Shane, there's so much captivity. There's so much difficulty. There's so much of these types of things. Well, are, are, are we ever going to be free of these types of things? Are we ever going to have individuals in the church who are going to be freed from all of these things? This is the reality of sin in our lives. This is the reality of our weakness. This is the reality of why we need God in our lives. With Christ. So I, I get it. I, I brought up the whole 12-step group and all of that kind of stuff. I, I know the 12-step group kind of does its thing. But the reality is, family, is that addictions, captivity to these types of things and these kinds of behaviors and all this stuff, the addictions and all this stuff, the reality of it is it's idolatry. Oh, here we go. Okay, I know this is not popular. I know people that are watching us on YouTube right now probably just shut it off. Are you saying that my addiction is idolatry? I don't think so. You know, I got this horrible, this stuff that I just cannot break away from and I got no statue sitting in my living room. Yeah, I, I know we say that. It's addictions. The reason why we can't break from the addiction is because it's become a God, small g God, holding us captive to what it is that we're doing, what it is that we do. So here's the thing. When it comes to addictions, we worshiped our way into it. You got to worship your way out. Wow. 
Well, so was, this is the price of admission today. Here it is. You worshiped your way into it. You got to worship your way out. I'm telling you, the only way we're going to get through a lot of the things that we're having, a lot of the things that we're dealing with, whatever the addiction is, whatever we're held captive to, we have got to love Jesus more. If we don't love Jesus more than that, we're not going to get through that. You see? It, all the time, it gets to this place where we always got to get to the place where God is the one that's going to pull us through, where God is the one by his power is going to set us free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, and, here, and here's like another couple of things. Like when it comes to some of these things that we're, quote unquote, we say that we're in bondage to, we just can't stop, we just can't break. Some, some of these things, yes, I know, I recognize, I realize that they're difficult, but do you know sometimes these things that we experience and things that we can't say no to and the things that we get, like anger, you know, like Shane, I just, I just can't control myself. I can't help myself. I just get angry. You guys, you guys ever hear about that kind of stuff? I just get angry and I can't control myself. Can't do this stuff, blah, blah, blah. It's consequential, always consequential. And I tell an individual, well, if, you know, when you're at work, do you get angry? Oh, yeah, yeah, I get, I get really angry, especially when I get to work. I get, I get angry. This is my boss this is what I get all the time. My boss is an idiot, right? Everybody, most people think their boss is an idiot, right? But my boss is an idiot, and he just comes in here and he just makes me mad. I said, yeah, but you know how you yell at your wife because you say you can't control yourself? Yeah, 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 I know, I, I, I know, I gotta be able to control myself, and I just can't control myself. Do you yell at your boss like that? No. Well, why not? Because you can control yourself. You just don't want to. Well, come on. Do you guys get that? You can. You display it every single day when your boss drives you crazy and he makes you mad. You're there, you're looking at him, you're shaking but you keep your mouth shut and you don't do it. Why? Because if you were to yell at your boss like you just yelled at your wife that, before, that morning before you went to work, you'd probably get what? Probably get fired. Consequences. Consequences. The choice that you make. You can control yourself. You have chosen not to in this situation. So don't give me this stuff about how I'm in bondage, how I'm addicted, how I can't control it. You can. You've just chosen not to. See, and that's what happens, I think, a lot for us, especially in our culture today. We make excuses for these things, right? Instead of saying, you know, instead of saying, hey, you know what? This is a problem that I have. I need to get out of this. It's not, not, not you know, it's just an addiction. I need help. It's, an, it's just something I just can't control myself. It's a bondage that I have. I can't control myself. I need help. But, you know, so when you figure out a way to help me, I'll, I'll gladly sign up. But until then, we excuse the behavior by just saying what? I can't help it. And then, you know what? Then we blame. Well, it's because, you know, my upbringing. It's because of, you know, my parents. It's because of my friends. It's because of ex bad relationships that I've had before. I've had this. I've had that. So we struggle with all these behavior things, and we blame it on everybody else. You know, we blame it on the devil. The devil is sitting there going, I had nothing to do with that. We blame it on other people. You know, this woman who you gave, that's the reason why I fell God. We blame others. We blame. So the reality is, is that's, that's one of the important things I need us to recognize and see is that we have been set free. And for many of us, we have been set free. But the addiction, I can't help myself. That's just the excuse. Our Lord is right now sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf, doing all of this as our prophet, our priest, and our king. Our king. Last point. 
He's going to lead us, family. He will defeat our enemy. The reality is that the giants in our lives are still standing, aren't they? For a lot of us. That's why these, you know, dare to be a David. You know, you got to be just like David. That's why these books and these sermons and all these things, that's why they're so popular. Because people will look at their lives and say, yeah, I got lots of giants in my life, man. I, I, these, these things that I can't defeat. And, you know, so I'm looking for books and I'm looking for methodologies. I'm looking for tools that you can give me. You know, give me my five smooth stone methodology, right? You know, that's what, that's what you get. Like, do you get the book? The book tells you, hey, this is how you defeat your giants. And it's using that metaphor, right, that David went and reached down and got his five smooth stones, right? Yep, got the stones, put it in. Well, are you, the reason why you're failing at dropping your giants is because you have not collected your five smooth stones. And I hear this one all the time. Got to collect the five smooth stones. Apply these five principles of godly living in your life and your giants will fall. No money back guarantee, but your giants will fall. The last time I read that Bible, or read that story in the Bible, how many stones did it take for him to fall? One. We messed this one up. We messed this one up. We, we think our giants are still standing. We threw everything that we could at them. The giants are still standing. They will not fall. They won't go away. It seems like life is having its way with me. I just can't seem to get my head above water. No matter what I do, no matter what I try, no matter how much I pray, no matter how many sermons of Pastor Shane's I suffer through, I cannot beat my giants. I can't beat the things in my, these things in my life. I can't shake the sin. I can't shake the addiction. I can't stop having a bad attitude. I just, I can't control myself. I can't be disciplined with this. I can't control myself. No matter, no matter what I do, evil is right there with me. My giants will not fall. And that's because of the story of David and Goliath that is just ingrained in our heads. And we think that in order for us to, to slay the giants, we got to be just like David. Got to be like David so we can slay our giants. But remember, family, this story in Scripture is not about teaching us how to be like David, but for us to recognize that our Lord and Savior, Jesus was like David and Jesus is the one that's going to drop our giants. The story, Christ is David. We're the terrified Israelites who were powerless against the giant. That's who we are. We were powerless against sin. We are powerless against hell, death, and the grave. We are powerless against the powers and the influence and all these things against the world, against sin, against the effects of sin, and absolutely powerless against the wrath of God. Oh, but, but Shane, Shane, that's not me. I'm not a sinner. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. There is not one person on earth who always does good and never sins. The wages of sin is death. We are all, by nature, children of wrath. Judgment and wrath is coming. It's real, and it's going to be terrible. Okay, Shane. Is, is there any hope for us? Yeah, because just like the Israelites, they got a message of hope from God. Judgment is coming, yes, but I am going to save you. There's salvation for you. There's hope for us today. We have salvation today just like the Israelites had so many years ago. All of that was a picture of the great salvation we have today with our King of Kings, with our Lord of Lords. Yes, Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin 
that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Family, today, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's salvation. And what we saw here today, the picture that we saw, is the true salvation of the Lord. Judgment is sure. Judgment's real. Judgment is coming. But salvation is sure. Salvation is real. Salvation is here. Rejoice today. Our prophet, priest, and king, our Lord and Savior, Jesus, has come to save us all. We were all, no doubt, needing salvation, and he brought it with a mighty display. And he showed it to us by being our shepherd, by being our breaker, and by being our king. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.